Chapter Twenty Two of Riders of the Purple Sage. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Laurie Ann Walden. Riders of the Purple Sage by Zane Grey. Chapter Twenty Two, Riders of the Purple Sage. Black star and night, answering to spur, swept swiftly westward along the white, slow-rising, sage-bordered trail. Venters heard a mournful howl from Ring, but Whitey was silent. The blacks settled into their fleet, long-striding gallop. The wind sweetly fanned Venters' hot face. From the summit of the first low-swelling ridge he looked back. Lassiter waved his hand. Jane waved her scarf. Venters replied by standing in his stirrups and holding high his sombrero. Then the dip of the ridge hid them. From the height of the next he turned once more. Lassiter, Jane, and the burrows had disappeared. They had gone down into the pass. Venters felt a sensation of irreparable loss. "'Burn, look,' called Bess, pointing up the long slope. A small, dark, moving dot split the line where purple sage met blue sky. That dot was a band of riders. "'Pull the black, Bess!' They slowed from gallop to canter, then to trot. The fresh and eager horses did not like the check. "'Burn, Black Star has great eyesight.' "'I wonder if they're tolls riders. They might be rustlers. But it's all the same to us.' The black dot grew to a dark patch moving under low dust clouds. It grew all the time, though very slowly. There were long periods when it was in plain sight, and intervals when it dropped behind the sage. The blacks trotted for half an hour, for another half hour, and still the moving patch appeared to stay on the horizon line. Gradually, however, as time passed, it began to enlarge, to creep down the slope, to encroach upon the intervening distance. "'Bess, what do you make them out?' asked Venters. "'I don't think they're rustlers.' "'They're sage-riders,' replied Bess. "'I see a white horse and several greys. "'Rustlers seldom ride any horses but bays and blacks.' "'That white horse is Tull's. "'Pull the black, Bess. "'I'll get down and cinch up. "'We're in for some riding. "'Are you afraid?' "'Not now,' answered the girl, smiling. "'You needn't be.' "'Bess, you don't weigh enough to make Blackstar know you're on him. "'I won't be able to stay with you. "'You'll leave Tull and his riders as if they were standing still. "'How about you?' "'Never fear. If I can't stay with you, I can still laugh at Tull.' "'Look, Burn, they've stopped on that ridge. They see us.' "'Yes, but we're too far yet for them to make out who we are. "'They'll recognize the blacks first. "'We've passed most of the ridges and the thickest sage.' Now when I give the word, let Black Star go and ride. Venters calculated that a mile or more still intervened between them and the riders. They were approaching at a swift canter. Soon Venters recognized Tull's white horse, and concluded that the riders had likewise recognized Black Star and Knight. But it would be impossible for Tull yet to see that the blacks were not ridden by Lassiter and Jane. Venters noted that Tull and the line of horsemen, perhaps ten or twelve in number, stopped several times and evidently looked hard down the slope. It must have been a puzzling circumstance for Tull. Venters laughed grimly at the thought of what Tull's rage would be when he finally discovered the trick. 
Venters meant to shear out into the sage before Tull could possibly be sure who rode the blacks. The gap closed to a distance of half a mile. Tull halted. His riders came up and formed a dark group around him. Venters thought he saw him wave his arms, and was certain of it when the riders dashed into the sage, to right and left of the trail. Tull had anticipated just the move held in mind by Venters. "'Now, Bess!' shouted Venters. "'Strike north. Go round those riders and turn west.' Black Star sailed over the low sage, and in a few leaps got into his stride and was running. Venters spurred night after him. It was hard going in the sage. The horses could run as well there, but keen eyesight and judgment must constantly be used by the riders in choosing ground. And continuous swerving from aisle to aisle between the brush, and leaping little washes and mounds of the pack-rats, and breaking through sage, made rough riding. When Venters had turned into a long aisle, he had time to look up at Tull's riders. They were now strung out into an extended line riding northeast. And, as Venters and Bess were holding due north, this meant, if the horses of Tull and his riders had the speed and the staying power, they would head the blacks and turn them back down the slope. Tull's men were not saving their mounts. They were driving them desperately. Venters feared only an accident to Black Star or Knight, and skillful riding would mitigate possibility of that. One glance ahead served to show him that Bess could pick a course through the sage as well as he. She looked neither back nor at the running riders, and bent forward over Blackstar's neck, and studied the ground ahead. It struck Venters presently, after he had glanced up from time to time, that Bess was drawing away from him, as he had expected. He had, however, only thought of the light weight Blackstar was carrying, and of his superior speed. He saw now that the black was being ridden as never before, except when Jerry Card lost the race to wrangle. How easily— Gracefully, naturally, Bess sat her saddle. She could ride. Suddenly Venters remembered she had said she could ride, but he had not dreamed she was capable of such superb horsemanship. Then, all at once, flashing over him, thrilling him, came the recollection that Bess was Aldring's masked rider. He forgot Tull, the running riders, the race. He let Knight have a free rein and felt him lengthen out to suit himself knowing he would keep to Black Star's course, knowing that he had been chosen by the best rider now on the upland sage. For Jerry Card was dead, and fame had rivaled him with only one rider, and that was the slender girl who now swung so easily with Black Star's stride. Venters had abhorred her notoriety, but now he took passionate pride in her skill, her daring, her power over a horse and he delved into his memory, recalling famous rides which he had heard related in the villages and round the campfires. Oldring's masked rider. Many times this strange rider, at once well known and unknown, had escaped pursuers by matchless riding. He had to run the gauntlet of vigilantes down the main street of Stone Bridge, leaving dead horses and dead rustlers behind. He had jumped his horse over the Gerber Wash, a deep, wide ravine separating the fields of glaze from the wild sage. He had been surrounded north of Stirling, and he had broken through the line. How often had been told the story of day stampedes, of night raids, of pursuit, and then how the masked rider, swift as the wind, was gone in the sage. A fleet, dark horse, a slender, dark form, a black mask, a driving run down the slope, 
a dot on the purple sage, a shadowy, muffled steed disappearing in the night. And this masked rider of the uplands had been Elizabeth Erne. The sweet sage wind rushed in Venter's face and sang a song in his ears. He heard the dull, rapid beat of night's hoofs. He saw a black star drawing away, farther and farther. He realized both horses were swinging to the west. Then gunshots in the rear reminded him of Tull. Venters looked back. Far to the side, dropping behind, trooped the riders. They were shooting. Venters saw no puffs of dust, heard no whistling bullets. He was out of range. When he looked back again, Tull's riders had given up pursuit. The best they could do, no doubt, had been to get near enough to recognize who really rode the blacks. Venters saw Tull drooping in his saddle. Then Venters pulled Knight out of his running stride. Those few miles had scarcely warmed the black, but Venters wished to save him. Bess turned, and though she was far away, Venters caught the white glint of her waving hand. He held Knight to a trot and rode on, seeing Bess and Blackstar and the sloping upward stretch of sage, and from time to time the receding black riders behind. Soon they disappeared behind a ridge, and he turned no more. They would go back to Lassiter's trail and follow it, and follow in vain. So Venters rode on, with the wind growing sweeter to taste and smell, and the purple sage richer, and the sky bluer in his sight, and the song in his ears ringing. By and by Bess halted to wait for him, and he knew she had come to the trail. When he reached her it was to smile at sight of her standing with arms round Black Star's neck. "'Oh, Burn, I love him,' she cried. "'He's beautiful. He knows. And how he can run!' I've had fast horses, but Black Star, Wrangle never beat him. I'm wondering if I didn't dream that. Bess, the blacks are grand. What it must have cost Jane. Ah, well, when we get out of this wild country with Star and Night, back to my old home in Illinois, we'll buy a beautiful farm with meadows and springs and cool shade. There we'll turn the horses free, free to roam and browse and drink, never to feel a spur again, never to be ridden. "'I would like that,' said Bess. They rested. Then, mounting, they rode side by side up the white trail. The sun rose higher behind them. Far to the left, a low line of green marked the site of cottonwoods. Venters looked once, and looked no more. Bess gazed only straight ahead. They put the blacks to the long, swinging rider's canter, and at times pulled them to a trot, and occasionally to a walk. The hours passed, the miles slipped behind, and the wall of rock loomed in the fore. The notch opened wide. It was a rugged, stony pass, but with level and open trail, and Venters and Bess ran the blacks through it. An old trail led off to the right, taking the line of the wall, and this Venters knew to be the trail mentioned by Lassiter. The little hamlet, Glaze, a white and green patch in the vast waste of purple, lay miles down a slope much like the cottonwood slope, only this descended to the west, and miles farther west a faint green spot marked the location of Stone Bridge. All the rest of that world was seemingly smooth, undulating sage, with no ragged lines of canyons to accentuate its wildness. "'Bess, we're safe, we're free,' said Venters. "'We're alone on the sage.' We're halfway to Stirling. Ah, I wonder how it is with Lassiter and Miss Witherstein. Never fear, Bess. He'll outwit Tull. 
He'll get away and hide her safely. He might climb into Surprise Valley, but I don't think he'll go so far. Burn, will we ever find any place like our beautiful valley? No, but dear, listen, we'll go back some day, after years, ten years. Then we'll be forgotten, and our valley will be just as we left it. What if balancing rock falls and closes the outlet to the pass? I've thought of that. I'll pack in ropes and ropes, and if the outlet's closed, we'll climb up the cliffs and over them to the valley and go down on rope ladders. It could be done. I know just where to make the climb, and I'll never forget. Oh, yes, let us go back. It's something sweet to look forward to. Bess, it's like all the future looks to me. Call me Elizabeth, she said shyly. Elizabeth Earn. It's a beautiful name, but I'll never forget Bess. Do you know, have you thought that very soon, by this time tomorrow, you will be Elizabeth Venters? So they rode on down the old trail, and the sun sloped to the west, and a golden sheen lay on the sage. The hours sped now, the afternoon waned. Often they rested the horses. The glisten of a pool of water in a hollow caught Venter's eye, and here he unsaddled the blacks and let them roll and drink and browse. When he and Bess rode up out of the hollow, the sun was low, a crimson ball, and the valley seemed veiled in purple fire and smoke. It was that short time when the sun appeared to rest before setting, and silence, like a cloak of invisible life, lay heavy on all that shimmering world of sage. They watched the sun begin to bury its red curve under the dark horizon. "'We'll ride on till late,' he said. "'Then you can sleep a little while I watch and graze the horses, and we'll ride into Stirling early tomorrow. We'll be married. We'll be in time to catch the stage. We'll tie Black Star and Knight behind, and then for a country not wild and terrible like this.' "'Oh, burn! But look, the sun is setting on the sage.' the last time for us till we dare come again to the Utah border. Ten years. Oh, Burn, look, so you will never forget. Slumbering, fading purple fire burned over the undulating sage ridges. Long streaks and bars and shafts and spears fringed the far western slope. Drifting golden veils mingled with low purple shadows. Colors and shades changed in slow, wondrous transformation. Suddenly Venters was startled by a low, rumbling roar, so low that it was like the roar in a seashell. "'Bess, did you hear anything?' he whispered. "'No?' "'Listen. Maybe I only imagined. Ah!' Out of the east or north, from remote distance, breathed an infinitely low, continuously long sound, deep, weird, detonating, thundering, deadening, dying. End of chapter 22